Welcome to Scoop with Steve Football. Hey, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Scoop with Steve Football, where I am continuing my NFL Division preview series with the AFC East. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Stephen Clinton, an NFL film junkie slash data scientist who uses his film observations to inform a machine learning model that spits out NFL game projections and fantasy statistics. Uh, we'll be looking at some of that output from the model on a uh, team level today, but uh, if you're interested in getting signed up for the uh, Scoop with Steve Football fantasy draft package, uh, you can check that out over at scoopwithstevefootball.com. Uh, model and uh, the associated content are getting updated uh, a couple times each week and uh, will continue to be updated through the DFS season. So uh, uh, without further ado, though, let's get into the AFC East. I'm going to work from uh, bottom to top in terms of my uh, expected wins uh, projected. So uh, that means we start with the New England Patriots here. And um, just as a uh, qu quick note here, um, the way that I uh, calculate that expected wins um, number that I'm, I mentioned there is uh, by using uh, the Pythagorean expectation formula for the NFL uh, by taking the points for and points against from uh, all of the uh, game projections for the New England Patriots and well, every other team this season. So for uh, New England, um, you know, for our listeners out there, I um, want to make sure I read this out. I've got the the machine learning model has the Patriots uh, projected to win as, as uh as the favorite in five games this year and at 7.69 expected wins, which is, uh, you know, more or less in line with, with their DraftKings wing total of six and a half. So we'll uh, talk about that at the end, but, uh, you know, diving into the, uh, the topics that I've been hitting for each team here. So with the Patriots, I'd say their roster building status is pushing to make the playoffs. Um, I guess you could say pushing to make the playoffs again. The, they did make the playoffs with Mac Jones at the helm uh, two years ago. And, uh, you know, but my assessment of uh, the roster building, um, is, is that they're, uh, you know, really struggling to tread water here and, and you know, pr probably sinking just just a, a little bit each year. So, yeah. um, so, you know, talking about the Patriots in general there, you know, um, obviously, you know, the three seasons since uh, Tom Brady departed, it, there hasn't been, you know, some disastrous season. Um, you know, they've continued to be very good on defense in New England and expect that to continue into, into the coming year and, you uh, it, it, the run game has uh, continued to be a pr pretty consistent force. And I think that that's really been what's, what's all driven most of the success on offense there. Um, obviously uh, more, more than a, a few hiccups last off season with uh, yeah, Matt Patricia and uh, Joe judge, and you know, whoever else was running the offense there in new England. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, it, it's been a situation where the passing game um, in, in one way or another, whether it was Cam Newton, a quarterback, whether it's been Mac Jones, a quarterback, whether it's been the weapons around them, uh, it, it's just really kind of failed to keep up in, uh, you know, what we kind of see, or at least I see as, as, as the modern NFL in 2023, but let, let's get into it here. So, um, you know, the greatest strength for the new England Patriots, uh, you know, I, I went back and forth here because I thought that the secondary uh, deserved a lot of consideration on, um, you know, really excited to see Christian Gonzalez uh, join a really deep, versatile secondary that they have in New England. Um, you know, I think that the uh, transition of uh, using Jalen Mills at safety more and more, um, which, you know, saw that uh, er in, in their first preseason game there where he uh, had had that pick of uh, Texans rookie CJ Stroud. I think that's, you know, a nice move because, you know, Jalen Mills was always a, you know, a corner who like to play from, you know, depth, um, which you're generally going to do in coverage as a safety. And, you know, when you bring those cover skills inside to safety, um, you know, it's usually going to be an upgrade, even if, uh, you know, he, he wasn't the greatest cover guy on the outside, but you know, the, the, 
the anchor of the secondary and, you know, the leader with Devin McCourty retiring, you expect to be Kyle Duggar. So, you know, again, uh, that, that drew a lot of consideration, but I ultimately went with the edge rush as New England's strength. I think that with Josh Uche uh, looking to build on a really promising 2022 season across from Matthew Judon, who, you know, put up 15 and a half sacks, uh, finished tied for fourth in the NFL in, in sacks. Um, yeah, I think you've got a really good pair there and, uh, you know, definitely two very different rushers. Uh, Judon, the much bigger player, uh, you know, plays through contact a little bit, more you know works off of the offensive lineman with his pass rush whereas Uche it's a lot more speed bend stuff like that but you know it's actually in my opinion nice to have a couple different types of edge rushers because there's all sorts of different types of offensive linemen in the NFL and depending on the offensive tackles these guys are facing you know one or the other may be better suited to take advantage of, of the weaknesses of a particular offensive tackle so um flipping over to the potential weakness um in new england i went with quarterback and you know while mac jones had you know a very solid rookie season um you know with josh mcdaniels as the coordinator and i've talked about this uh at, at length in my uh patriots preview stuff um you know i thought he was a solid processor but i didn't think he was off the charts by any means and, and Mac Jones just has such limited physical tools in an NFL where you're playing against guys like Josh Allen and now Aaron Rodgers in the same division and, and even you know to some degree Tua Tunga by Loa and just how you know some of his you know quick hitting stuff and everything like that is special in its own right and you know we'll get to two on some of his limitations in a moment here but you know I, I think that you know it's not to say that Mac Jones isn't a, a good or a competent quarterback but you know I just don't think that cuts it in in the nfl today because you know the the bar's just set too high at quarterback so you know ultimately the model is right in line with, with that DraftKings win total um so you know I'll, I'll go ahead and pass on that just because i think that this defense is going to be very very good and uh you know uh and and ultimately i think the, the x factor as well why i don't just take the under there is uh, is the question of um sorry i almost forgot my x factor for new england is is can the patriots uh zig as others zag and and that is a possibility i think that even though you know i, I mentioned the secondary being a really strong group um if you look at the patriots roster as a whole the biggest takeaway i would have is they're a really big group really powerful group um looking to be kind of a bully right on on both sides of the ball i think you would say you know especially with you know an inside linebacker like juan bentley um you know they still have um you know obviously the, the edge rushers but they have a number of interior defensive linemen like uh you know christian barmore uh lawrence guy uh who am i forgetting here the um david goodshaw um uh, who you know all provide a lot of bulk on the interior there trent brown is still playing left tackle he's as big as they come on the o-line uh but the and and you could even expand that discussion out to some of the skill players like Devontae parker being a big box out receiver hunter henry and mike gasicki both being you know long angular pass catchers at tight end in the fold um so, you know, just kind of across the whole roster and, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, certainly not a small back. So, you know, at the same time, um, you know, as, as big as they are um, and as well as that's worked out, uh, you know, kind of building a bully um, in San Francisco, you know, San Francisco's big players, um, you know, a, a lot of them are really explosive as well, whether that's uh, Trent Williams. Uh, now they had Javon Hargrave, who's about as twitched up a nose tackle as you can imagine, um, you know, even getting into his older years, I think that remains true to a certain degree. Um, and, and then you've got, you know, guys like Debo Samuel and George Kittle who are, are really physical players but also you know very explosive and then not to mention guys like Brandon Ayuk and then you know I didn't even mention Christian McCaffrey there um in terms of guys who who really add that extra level of juice to the to the whole operation so I think that's kind of what what's missing in New England is just that that level of juice that level of explosion and you know maybe they can win um you know playing 
you know, just consistent offense, taking chunks away, you know, consistently running the ball and, and all that jazz. But I think that's just a difficult way to win in today's NFL, um, even if it's possible because styles are constantly cycling. So we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out for Bill Belichick and company this year, but have them last in the AFC East. Um, third team uh, is the Miami Dolphins. So roster building status, uh, you know, I have them as pushing to contend. And, and, you know, what I said about them for the assessment is they have a puncher's chance here. And obviously that, you know, that, that all, you know, uh, hinges on health in Miami and, and specifically to a Tungabailoa's health. And then, you know, on top of uh, to his health, I think his ability to continue to evolve with Mike McDaniel after their early season success, you know, hit some some bumps along the road um, last off season. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into some more discussion about the offense and what, whether the improvements are made. But, you know, there's also the, you know, the injury questions after Jalen Ramsey uh, injured his knee and will we'll be out until the, the end of the season here but might give them some reinforcements if they're able to weather the storm until then. So, you know, by uh, Miami did exercise two as a fifth year option, which gives them two years to make a decision on the quarterback, but they're in win now mode. Uh, whether you look at the Tyree Hill trade, whether you look at the Jalen Ramsey trade, this is a team that has given up future assets to, uh, to, to make a push now. And, you know, they've got the, uh, you know, lost the first round pick to the Brady tampering charges, which, you know, kind of you know cut into the treasure chest they had accumulated um during the tank for two years a little bit so you know it's go time now so um you know look, looking at the um the dolphins in terms of their greatest strength i went with the defensive front and this is a group that i think has really you know grown together um and then you know gets a, a big time um veteran addition with bradley chubb who was picked up in a mid-season trade last year but the, the group that this reminds me of is is the group up with with the Pittsburgh Steelers that's been you know headboarded headlined by Cam Hayward and TJ Watt over the past years but at their best had you know Stefan Tuitt as another really capable defensive end they had Tyson Aluayu as another interior defensive lineman for the three-man front and then they had Bud Dupree as a really capable edge rusher of course Alex Highsmith has replaced him in Pittsburgh but you know if we flip that over to Miami I think you would look at Christian Wilkins as filling that Cam Hayward role as kind of the headliner on the interior defensive line you know Wilkins has just continued to progress each year in the league and you know it's just a very disruptive force on the interior um, you know, he's having his hold in, but hopefully the Dolphins resolve those contract issues. Um, you know, the other um interior defensive lineman, Zach Seiler, um, is you know, maybe goes underrated. I know that there's some folks who who definitely rave about what Zach Seiler brings to the table, and he's you know, and uh, plays across from um, you know, Christian Wilkins and kind of that you know, call it a D end role in, in, in a three, four, five, two front, and um. You know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, Siler, maybe he's not that all pro type, but he's just a really uh, productive player on the on the interior, difficult to move and also disruptive. And then, you know, if you look at the edge rushers, I mentioned Bradley Chubb earlier. Yeah, Chubb is, you know, such a stout defensive end and then you know he's is certainly an adept pass rusher and then across from him is, is the guy who could really take this into the next level um in terms of you know that the, if you were to ask who the tj watt is in in, in that comparison i'd say it's jalen phillips and you know, jalen phillips um to me is the most um physically gifted edge rusher in the nfl uh south of uh miles garrett up in cleveland um now obviously there's a, a gap between that and being the most productive um edge rusher in the nfl and there's certainly a, a, plenty of names that are ahead of jalen phillips in that regard right now but you saw phillips continue to develop his game in year two and i think that you know this dude has all the tools to break out as an all pro type rusher on the edge for miami in year three so 
um, throw in the fact that they've got, you know, Raekwon Davis as, as the nose tackle in, uh, in their base package. And then one linebacker who can really fly sideline to sideline in Jerome Baker. And then uh, a guy who's got great instincts as a thumper in the box in, in David Long. Um, I think that, you know, that front seven in Miami is about as good as you could ask for. So flipping over to the uh, potential weakness, I, I would say it's the offensive line. And that is a, a little bit alarming because, you know, in, in light of the way last season when you might have uh, thought that the the Dolphins really would have, um, you know, pushed to make some improvements along that offensive line and, and try to, you know, be able to run the ball, um, you know, with a little bit, bit more dominance and 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 take some of the load off to a Tonga Bailoa. But, you know, that's ultimately not the direction they went. And, and to be fair, they had, you know, limited resources to work with. Um, what with you know salary cap space committed to you know the the Tyree kills of the world um bringing in Bradley Chubb by a trade losing the first round pick um but at the same time you know some of the things they did pursue like bringing in Jalen Ramsey were obviously not geared towards upgrading the offensive line so the one um you know new competitor that's brought been brought in is Isaiah Wynn out of New England who you know has dealt with more than his share of injury issues up there and you know and that's the toughest thing for Miami along the offensive line as well is that you know even you know you look at the best case scenario for guys developing um you know you you feel like you've got you know a really capable left tackle in Teron Armstead. But, you know, if Austin Jackson, let's say, does develop as the right tackle across from Teron Armstead, well, that's all well and good if Teron Armstead makes it through the season, but that doesn't often happen for Teron Armstead. So, you know, it, it just raises concerns that, uh, you know, Miami, if they lose Armstead at left tackle, which, you know, you kind of have to expect at this point, um, you know, whether or not they have the depth to uh, weather that, I, I think, is a, is an open question. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, in any case, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see Isaiah win. Um, you know, he's competing at guard. You know, I could see him uprooting. Liam Eichenberg was probably the weakest player on this line last year. Um, you know, Robert Hunt, you know, at the same time, is not a, a world beater necessarily at guard. So, you know, you could see when uprooting or, or, you know, taking either of their spots. But then, you know, does that put you in a situation where he gets hurt down the road and then you're right back to square one? So we'll see how it works out on the offensive line. You know, certainly fortunes can change in the NFL. But uh, that looking at their roster right now, I think that's the the, the stance as the potential weakness and then the x factor i went with is, is the cornerbacks on you know mentioned the front seven of the defense javon hall and safety is you know an, a budding superstar and then i actually i also like brandon jones who plays next to him quite a bit as you know a pretty versatile guy who can come down in the box um join the blitz package do you know a lot of the things that holland is doing but you know maybe not to the same uh impact as holland but that's great because holland you know can be moved around and used in so many different ways that having a second safety who can, you know, fill in wherever he's not is, you know, um, a big time bonus. As, as I said that, I thought of, uh, you know, the great Ryan Clark talking uh, sometimes about how his role playing next to Troy Palomala uh, and, you know, obviously Ryan Clark was an outstanding player in his own right, but, you know, Paul Amaro, the, the future Hall of Famer, and, and you know, we'll see. Brandon Jones and Javon Holland have a ways to go to become that, but, you know, c- could end up being that type of pairing. So, um, you know, but we were talking about cornerbacks here, and, you know, Xavier Howard, I expect to have a strong year. You know, Howard was un- absolutely unbelievable playing in Brian Flores' scheme, which is such a, you know, 
and man cover heavy blitz heavy scheme that just asks pretty much as much as you could ask of an NFL quarterback and Xavier Howard you know not only held up in that he excelled I mean he was just a dangerous player to throw at as you know one of one of the better interceptors of the ball that I've seen in in terms of intercepting the ball while playing trail man coverage um you know just which is obviously a pretty specific thing but uh you know Howard was you know it's just outstanding at getting his head around and finding the ball when he's when he's playing man and you know in in Vic Fangio's uh, scheme here I think that you know it's going to take some of the stress off of him and you know the injuries were piling up a little bit he's, he's certainly been playing in the league a while but I think that you can expect a lot out of Xavier Howard now behind him is, is where all the questions come in right now Kadar who played well as an undrafted rookie free agent they signed Eli Apple um to to compete as well and and then also their second round uh pick uh Cam Smith is, is you know cornerback as well so three players to compete there I think at this point uh Noah it, uh, no, yeah, um, uh, their their former first round pick out of Auburn. I mean, I think he has to be considered just you know an, an afterthought. You know, I recently watched, I, I believe, it was Miami's film against Pittsburgh, and yeah, he was just you know kind of just out there, you know, just unable to compete for the ball on a consistent basis. So I think that you know he he has to kind of move on from the idea that he's going to help them at cornerback. Um, but you know, if if those guys can can figure it out, then you know. I think that this unit has the potential with with this front seven to be one of Vic Fangio's better units. And, you know, maybe we'll have to address, adjust the metrics for, for this era of football. But, um, you know, this is just a really talented defense in, in Miami. And obviously it's saying a heck of a lot to say that this could be one of Vic Fangio's best units because Vic Fangio's had just spectacular defenses that he's led out in uh, San Francisco and Chicago, to name a couple. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I at the same time, um, as I say, I think that Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips being your anchors up front um, provides the foundation for just an outstanding defense. So we'll see how it goes. Um, the model has uh, the, the Dolphins at eight games favored in 8.66 expected wins. The the win total at DraftKings is nine and a half. The, the definite play here would be the under, but, you know, honestly, just, uh, you know, I, I, the current projection is is very um, tepid on uh, to a Vailoa and, and his health and everything with the offense. But, you know, after the way that, you know, Mike McDaniel and um, Tunga Vailoa just blew away expectations to start last season, you know, I'm just going to, uh, you know, hold, hold off on this one. And, uh, you know, I've got a, another bet down the line that we'll make, but I'll, 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 you know, hold out the possibility that the Dolphins are pretty darn good this year and, you know, go get 10, 11 wins. Because as I say, I think the defense is going to be really, really good. And if the offense clicks the way it did last year, this could be, a very dangerous team. So, you know, I have them projected a little bit lower than that win total, but I, I see a good bit of variance uh, with, with the Dolphins projection relative to some other teams. So um, moving on forward, uh, looking at the Buffalo Bills here, and uh, you'll notice that they're the second team in the division. We'll get to it in a moment, but this is essentially a dead heat. I would not say that uh, the Jets are necessarily the favorite, uh, according to my model's projections here. It's uh, more or less a rounding uh, error in terms of, uh, you know, the projection here. Uh, the Bills are projected to win, be favored in 13 games and are at 9.97 expected wins. And just as a sneak peek, the Jets are at the same number of favored games and 10.05 expected wins. So if we round to, you know, instead of two digits one digit there you know dead heat at 13 games favored 10 expected wins so um buffalo's uh you know win total is 10 and a half which is steep um so you know i'll just say right off the bat i'm just passing on that because that's a you know a, just a difficult win total to get to in in a very competitive uh, against a very competitive schedule right um 
But in, in terms of their roster building status, I said that, you know, the Buffalo Bills are in the, the Francis and Ngannou transformation after the Stevie Miocic loss uh, status. So, you know, for, for those of you who aren't mixed martial arts fans, uh, you won't know what I'm talking about here. But Francis Ngannou is the uh, former UFC heavyweight champion. He's changed company since then. But unbelievable story coming from Africa, you know, his journey to get to the United States and compete and become the heavyweight champion is just unreal. But in his rise through the UFC, Francis Ngannou was just the knockout. I mean, he's just got freakish, you know, really superhuman kind of knockout ability. And he was consistently winning fights in, in 15 to 20 seconds. I remember doing some, you know, MMA analytics at one point and was studying different fighters. And I mean, I was able to, to get up to speed on Francis Ngannou's entire fight record in less time than I, it normally took to watch a championship round fight. I mean, the guy was consistently winning in a minute. It was crazy. But he eventually runs into Stipe Miocic, who was, you know, just the, the champion, the heavyweight champion at the time. And Miocic was um, able to take advantage of Ngannou's, you know, limited expertise or limited skill on uh, as a ground fighter in, in the MMA and was able to neutralize his knockout ability and, and ends up defeating Ngannou. So, you know, Ngannou, though, doesn't, you know, quit. He he goes back into the lab, develops his ground game, and then comes back to to fight and defeat Miocic and become the, the heavyweight champion. So, you know, where's where's the comparison to the Buffalo Bills? Well, I think that we've seen with the Buffalo Bills the uh, the past couple of seasons, you know, they've been, you know, close when it came to the AFC playoffs. I mean, damn, they were unbelievably close against the Kansas City Chiefs two, uh, two seasons ago in that absolutely crazy uh Patrick Mahomes like comeback that that knocked the Bills out of the playoffs but they haven't gotten there and obviously the Bills have uh you know d decided to change things up so in, in terms of the assessment I, I I wrote that the championship rounds will tell so yeah I think Buffalo is once again going to be really competitive during the regular season but at the end of the day they're looking to push over the top um you know come January come February and uh you know what we won't know until we get there whether they do that but in, in any case um looking at uh the, their greatest strength and, and in in the context of the greatest strength i'll talk about what that transformation is that buffalo is making right because i don't don't want to leave you hanging if you haven't heard me talk about the bills before but you know the greatest strength is, is the josh allen stefan diggs connection and you know the, the two of them are just unbelievable um you know obviously this is the very high end of a, of a projection but i don't think it's out of the question that they wind up being the mvp and offensive player of the year right and you know probably be saying that a year from now if, if stefan diggs is still on the team in buffalo but last year it just got to the point where it was too much for the for the two of them to be carrying the load that they were carrying uh particularly because josh allen was doing so much for them as a rusher so the way the bills have changed this up and, and how they're transforming themselves and you know trying to add to their game um the same way Engano added uh, you know a ground game to his knockout power is by bringing in um a number of players who should uh, allow them to play more power football on offense and you know the headliner in, in this transformation is their first round pick dalton um Kincaid which you know makes makes a ton of sense right um with him being the first round pick and all but it, it goes it goes beyond the uh the the uh tight end um who is expected to be used as kind of a slot receiver an oversized slot receiver and presumably one who's going to give you a matchup advantage if they bring out a nickel package and and try to block or um have him you know covered by you know even a safety, um, you know, he's you're, you're hoping that uh, Dalton Kincaid can overwhelm him in, in the run game and give you a uh, an advantage that way. But it went beyond that, right? It went um, to signing two uh, big thumping uh, veteran backs in Damian Harris and Latavius Murray, who should give the Bills an element they simply haven't had at the running back position um, between the tackles over the past few years. Uh, 
they've got James Cook in, in place to be a very capable pass catching back. But you know, this is just obvious uh, again, uh, adding a different element, a different um, a different pitch to their uh, to their arsenal, if you will. And and then to top it off, they drafted uh, Osiris Torrance in the second round out, out of Florida. Um, and you know, the, the big thing with him and his draft profile was he was a road grader at guard. So, you know, uh, four different moves that, you know, in, in, you know, in a vacuum, all of them would have pointed to being a little bit more physical because that's just the nature of these four players games. But uh, when, you know, it's taken in concert, it's, it's very clear that the Bills are making a concerted effort to, to emphasize this going into next season. And, you know, for, for Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, as I say, I still think that they could be the MVP and the offensive player of the year. So this doesn't really take away from their role in the offense at all. But if it just makes the foundation that much better around them and just makes us a better offense to play and then hopefully, you know, some of the frustrations that Diggs was uh, expressing, um, you know, go away because you know ultimately these guys want to win and and i think that you know I, this is obviously me you know just just speculating from the outside looking in i think a lot of the frustration was that on some level Stefan Diggs knew that you know if, if i have to get the ball this much we're not going to win and you know as much as you know you talk about receivers being divas and wanting the ball and, and certainly Stefan Diggs wants plenty of targets um you know i think you know, any reasonable football mind is going to be aware that, oh, yeah, if I'm the only thing that's consistent about our offense, then it's going to be difficult for us to move the ball all the time because the defense is going to do everything they can to take uh, me away. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this uh, offense transforms itself Um you know, they'll definitely be an interesting watch in week one. So uh, d- diving into their uh, potential weakness. Um, this is a weird one to write about, but I, I said the, the defense just has a hole in Buffalo. And, you know, it's it's so crazy how these things, you know, just go in cycles. And, you know, Buffalo was so strong on defense, and that was really their calling card when, you know, the, the Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean um, tandem, you know, made the playoffs in that first year with Tyrod Taylor and, and, and the great Nathan Peterman, at quarterback. Um, but you know, it's so funny since, you know, Josh Allen emerged as this MVP type player um, following that offseason transformation. They just really haven't kept up to the same degree, um, you know, both at the running back position, which we just talked about, um, and in the running game in general, and and then also um, uh, on defense, where the talent has just kind of been, you know, gradually slipping a little bit at a time. And, you know, that's not to say that, that there's not still some great players here, but, you know, the real issue has been as, kind of their core players um from from those initial defenses have gotten older um now Tremaine Edmonds moves on by a free agency um some of some of those veteran players have gotten injured we'll talk about Tredavious White and Micah Hyde in a minute here and then you know as Buffalo has tried to you know juice this defense up with first and second round picks whether it's you know Kyrie Aluma cornerback whether it's you know the uh, trio of edge rushers in, in Greg Rousseau uh Boogie Basham and yeah, Vanessa, they just really haven't gotten the, the type of uh, production that you're, you know, truly hoping for. And I, and I think you could even extend that statement to Ed Oliver. Um, obviously, the Bills signed him to a, a significant contract extension, and he does bring something in, in a defined role as an interior pass rusher. But, you know, Ed Oliver is not a particularly well-rounded defensive tackle, I don't think you would say, you know, uh, obviously – uh, you know, great to have that interior rush, but he's not a stout player against the run. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, really taking this Buffalo defense from being, you know, a, a unit you expected to be one of the top five in the NFL to one that 
I, I think that in the best case scenario, and we'll get to this in the X factors, they could still be damn good. But, you know, I think they've got a, as much a chance of finishing in the bottom 10 as, as the top 10 of the NFL on, um, you know, just depending on the, the way things break with, with an aging core on defense. So um, the, the X factor, um, and it's going to be X factors here. Um, edge rusher Vaughn Miller, cornerback uh, Tredavious White and, and safety Micah Hyde. Um, you know, Vaughn Miller is, obviously a dominant force and a future hall of famer. Um, he's coming off a torn ACL though. And he's, uh, you know, in his mid thirties. So we'll see how that works out, but that's, you know, no guarantees there. And, uh, you know, as Bill's fans saw with cornerback Tredavious White, who, you know, hopefully, uh, another year removed from his own knee injury is back to being, you know, a true number one corner, um, as he was in his prime, but, you know, it just wasn't the same for Tredavious White in, in the first year uh, after his his knee injury. So you know we'll we'll see um see what happens. I'm certainly hoping for the best. Tredavious White was a joy to watch um and and still you know it was a lot of fun. But you know he just wasn't quite the same player. And then Micah Hyde's coming off a season ending neck injury. So you know you're talking about guys who have been you know um outstanding players um in their own right uh throughout their careers but you know obviously there, there's not a whole lot of defensive players in the nfl who are playing in their late 30s and um yeah that's just kind of the reality of the situation and you're you're looking at kind of a an aging defense where the the young players are just not um stepping in to to be to become the impact players so that just makes it a difficult situation you know di different than you know say a philadelphia where they've kept around a lot of the you know same names on defense and fletcher cox and brandon graham but they've been able to you know tamp their roles down as other players have emerged to, to you know take on the load um and that simply hasn't happened with buffalo so far so we'll see how uh things change um sean mcdermott the head coach if i'm not mistaken will be taking over the defensive play column so maybe that uh jazzes some things up and you know we'll, we'll see they've still got some really good players here i mean matt milano is still a stud at linebacker jordan Poyer is you know a very steady player at safety you know continuing to play well so you know, i really like teron johnson in the slot so you know so certainly not all is lost in Buffalo and have, you know, high expectations for them. But I do think the defense has become, um, you know, a real question mark there. And, and that makes those X factors a, a consideration. So with the Bills, uh, you know, at, at the 10-5 and, and um, you know, at 9-9-7 expected wins, 13 games favorite, I think that's kind of what you'd expect. So we'll pass on that. Uh, I've got, got a target for a bet at the end here. So uh, and then to wrap things up, uh, We've got the fourth team in the AFC East, and that is the New York Jets, who have a DraftKings win total of nine and a half. So they are uh, back behind uh, the uh buffalo bills in terms of those expectations but as i say um you know more or less a rounding thing uh that that puts them uh you know definitively ahead of the buffalo bills here uh in terms of the overall ranks for these afc east teams in the nfl i've got the jets at seven the bills at eight in terms of expected wins and then the dolphins at 15 and new england at 22 so th three in the top half of the league which is uh, pr pretty good i believe that the uh afc north will be the, the one other division that fits that designation so um you know lo looking at the uh the new york jets um I, the um roster building status is you know the moment is now and uh for the assessment i, I put they're locked and loaded and, and we'll get into the potential weakness for this team but you know it's hard to have every box checked as an nfl team and um while the the um you know issues on the o-line are certainly uh seem um to be becoming um somewhat alarming out there um this early in training camp uh you know there's a, there's a lot of time and a lot of possibilities for things to work themselves out so um 
in terms of the, the greatest strength of the New York Jets, I just said the defense is all so the opposite of Buffalo, right? And, and really, that is you know the the big difference between these teams. If you're watching on on um, YouTube, you'll be able to see the uh, the Bills are projected to score more points. The Jets to play better defense. I've got the Jets at 435 uh, points for essentially and 372 points against, um, whereas the, the Bills are at 463 uh, points for and then. Uh, about 400 points again so about you know 20 to 25 or 20 to 30 point uh disparity in each of those categories and you know the, the jets on defense i mean you, you talk about just having some blue chip players all over the place and you know it starts with the freshly paid quinn and williams uh at uh defensive tackle or it starts at a uh, cornerback with sauce gardner who was all, arguably the best cornerback in the nfl as a rookie so that really depends on your taste uh i you know could could uh, definitely uh, put forth a strong case for either player because they're utterly dominant in their positions. And then they've got, you know, a lot of really good pieces to work around those uh, two elite players. Um, I thought DJ Reed was just really, really good in his role across from Sauce Gardner uh, for the Jets last season, allowed the Jets to just sit on sides and and not, you know, have receive, uh, corners following receivers, which, you know, if you, you know, that's one way to go about things. Like I'm not necessarily against that, but at the same time, if your corners don't have to be running all over the place between plays, because both of them can handle their business on their side of the field, it seems like a more efficient way to play. So, you know, uh, there's that right now. Um, and, and it certainly worked well last year. And then, you know, Michael Carter, um, the, 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 cornerback Michael Carter uh, of course that the running back as well uh, is, a, is a really capable slot cornerback as, as a cover guy so you know I think that you really like that group um, I absolutely love Quincy Williams at linebacker is a guy who can just flat out fly sideline to sideline if you want to make the comparison to the Dolphins uh, you know he's the Jerome Baker type uh, running all over and then uh, in the David Long role you have the veteran CJ Mosley for the Jets who you know uh Certainly, you know, I don't know that he ever brought that type of sideline to sideline speed, but yeah, his instincts have always been outstanding since he took the field in, in Baltimore as a rookie. And, you know, I think CJ Mosley can be expected to continue to, you know, provide leadership and, you know, just be a steady presence in the box with good instincts. So, um, and then, you know, in terms of, you know, who, who it is, you know, racking up sacks alongside Quinn Williams we'll see but you know John Franklin Myers is an awesome player as an interior exterior rusher um Carl Lawson certainly brings his juice off the edge and then I think with you know both Jermaine Johnson and then uh Will McDonald who are you know a pair of edge rushers they've taken in the first round over the past two years I think that you can uh you know certainly expect some good results um from the Jets up front under uh head, you know with with that being head coach uh Robert Sala's side of the ball so you know the Jets have you know found a lot of good players over the past couple of years on on that side of the ball and I expect that um the defense will really key things for them as they, you know, figure things out early on offense. So uh, flipping over to the potential weakness for the Jets, you got to go with the offensive line here, right? Um, You know, I, I thought that it was a, you know, I continue to think it's a dubious plan that to say that Dwayne Brown's going to be the left tackle this season. Um, you know, Dwayne Brown was outstanding in his prime um, in Houston and he was pretty good in Seattle as well. Um, But I thought that his tape last year showed a player and, you know, he's 37 years old who had really lost a lot of his lateral quickness. Um, and, and I think that's you know pretty critical to being an effective uh, offensive tackle in the NFL. So, you know, he's currently on the physically unable to perform list as well, which does not necessarily bode well, um, you know, 
head coach Robert Sala has, you know, questioned Makai Becton's ability to play an entire game. So I think it's, you know, probably time to give up hope on that one. Um, so that, you know, leaves Max Mitchell and Billy Turner as your offensive tackles. And, you know, we'll see what we get out of Max Mitchell after um, his rookie season was cut short, short by blood clots. But, you know, Billy Turner is, you know, a, a passable option at best at, at offensive tackle. So, yeah, that's a, a little bit of a sketchy situation. And then, you know, the reports are that Joe Tipman is taking a little bit of time to get acclimated, uh, the second round pick at center. So, you know, then the possibility of, you know, kicking Connor McGovern, uh, the current center out to right guard and moving Elijah Vera Tucker to tackle um, becomes a little bit more difficult to pull off. So, yeah, we'll see how it all works out for the Jets. Um, might be on their quarterback and, and their offensive coordinator to scheme on their way out of a lot of the uh, protection issues that they might have. Um, and then obviously, you know, there's the trade deadline because, you know, the, the Jets uh, face a couple of uh, really good pass rushers or, or three in particular uh, in, in weeks two and three where they get Micah Parsons of Dallas. And then in week three, the aforementioned uh, pass rush tandem in New England of Matt Judon and, and Josh Uche. So, you know, maybe they decide they need to do something different by the end of September. But in the meantime, uh, we'll talk about the X factor, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, one thing that I think uh, the veteran quarterback is going to need to do is negate um the opposing pass rush with um you know a lot of tactics uh that he's been successful using in green bet um you know for one you can talk about his ability to use the hard count and keep uh pass rushes off balance the second one on the and probably the more important one is that you know green bay really loved to use these one hitting uh quick action passes and it used to be to Devontae adams and the, the packers came up with a number of uh creative ways to to get that going they were the first team that um you know i uh, call uh, the route where you just stand up and throw it to a receiver who has a corner off him and let him run I uh, call that a now route they were the first team that i remember letting that player start getting some momentum either moving in or out as the pass was coming at them instead of standing stationary which you know tends to work out pretty well to have a little bit of momentum going to work into your uh into attacking the cornerback after you catch the ball so you know green bay's really been kind of pushing the action in, in some of those quick answers you know other teams use them as well not saying they're the only ones but I, I really think that it's likely that they continue to do this because the Packers actually continued to try to do that with Romeo Dobbs um before Dobbs injured his ankle early last season after Adams had departed Dobbs wasn't as successful at it you know young player acclimating to the NFL but I think Garrett Wilson will be so you know I expect Garrett Wilson to get a lot of work that way um especially when you talk about the big receivers that the Jets are going to be rolling out with you know Alan Lazard signing and then, you know, I think that Corey Davis might play a bigger role than some folks are, are banking on. Corey Davis is, uh, he was a pretty darn good player for the Tennessee Titans a couple of years ago, and he hasn't had a quarterback since he signed with the Jets, but that could, uh, that could definitely change here. So, um, you know, as I say, Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, so much of what he can do. And then, you know, the third thing to, to negate the pressure or pressure is just the under under center um, play action game and Rodgers has done you know he talks on the Pat McAfee show about all the work he's done with his ball handling and that to make you know the run look like the pass and make that as effective as possible so you know the the Jets should have a few uh, tricks in their bag with uh, you know all the thing Hackett taking over as the offensive coordinator and uh, you know for all the jokes about that you know I think that he's going to be just fine working with Aaron Rodgers they seem to have a, a great synergy Rodgers has spoken very highly of him and you know Nathaniel Hackett is not being asked to run the team um, here. He's just being asked to put the offense in and, and work with Rodgers uh, to, to, to do that. And I think that, you know, there's a really good chance that they're going to be very effective in doing that, um, regardless of kind of the situation on the O-line. You know, you throw in the fact that, 
you know, Dalvin Cook comes in to be part of that running game. And then, I mean, Brees Hall was arguably the best pure runner in the NFL before his ACL injury last year. Um, and that was in the context of playing with no threat in the passing game. So, you know, I think that the Jets certainly have a wide range of outcomes on offense just because of that offensive tackle situation specifically, but they certainly have an unbelievable ceiling with the, uh, with the pass catchers they have available to them with the the pair of tight ends and Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzuma. And then with, you know, a, a quarterback who could certainly bounce back to playing at an MVP or near MVP level. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers continued to throw the ball well at times, uh, even, even um, in the context of some not so great games late last season. So he's held Healthy, not dealing with those injuries and he's dealing with you know more experienced players around him and obviously seems a lot happier so it'll be really interesting to see how Aaron Rodgers performs in 2023 but I think that there's a good chance that the Jets are going to do well so um you know with it with the win total at nine and a half could certainly play the over here but I've got a better way to do this so getting to the um the Jets and the, the final bet here to play uh, the division odds over on DraftKings for the AFC East have Buffalo as the decided favorite at plus 120, the Jets in second at plus 270, the Dolphins at plus 300, and then the, the Patriots at plus 800. So the bet I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, play here for the uh, a, a, um, AFC East preview show is the uh, New York Jets to win the division at plus 270. You know, I have them and the Bills, uh, neck and neck in these projections here so taking the jets at you know decided second place odds uh, rather than neck and neck odds uh, strikes me as a, a pretty solid bet for the afc east moving into the season so you know usual caveats about season long bets and the turnaround time but if you are playing some of those and want some teams to to root for uh Hey, the Jets and, uh, you know, particularly the 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 Williams brothers on defense, I, I absolutely love watching. So I think that'll be a fun one to follow in 2023. So, yeah, that's it for the AFC East today. Uh, NFC East is up next. So look for me to be back with a new show tomorrow. Also, I did a team by team podcast series heading into the season that's available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So uh, you can uh, find your way there for, through scubacfootball.com. And uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you can't tell, I love talking NFL football. And if you enjoy listening, so much better. Have a great day, everyone.